This is a Lip Media Podcast. Deviant women, deviant women, deviant women, deviant women, deviant women. Welcome to Deviant Women. This is the podcast where we talk to you about deviant women from history, mythology, literature, and contemporaneity. I'm Alicia. And I'm Lauren. And welcome back, Lauren. Yes. You know how the last episode, I think I promised that we weren't going to do anything that was in the 20th century. Are you already going to break that No, 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 I'm not. I'm not. We are moving way out of the 20th century. I promised that we weren't going to do anything American as well. (laughs) Depends how you define American, doesn't it? Well, yeah. Okay, look, we're on the same continent. We're we're in the Americas. We're going to Central America. Mm. I'm sorry. Yeah, but we're not in North America. Well, ish. We are because we go up. Mexico Mexico is North America. It's still North America. Mm. So I didn't stay true to all of my points, but we are definitely moving well out of the 20th century. And that's the most important thing because in today's episode, we're going to what is for some strange reason, one of my favorite periods of history. You're so excited about this episode. I like am. you are glowing. I don't know what it is that fascinates me about this period of history in this period of the world, but we are going to 16th century Mexico. Yeah, well, it's the time of conquistadors. It is. And the new world and quote unquote the new world. Demise of the Aztecs. Well, yes. So, and <laughs> is this that is a good time? Yeah, it's look, it would have been a terrible time to it's be alive. It's a very colonial era. But it's a just a, a part of history that I find really, really fascinating. Mm. And one of the reasons I find it really, really fascinating is because of today's figure yes. that we're going to be discussing, who is, of course, La Malinche. Of course. Now. Now, I know only a little bit about La Malinche, and that is because you talked not a lot about her, but you mentioned her a whole bunch when you were doing your PhD. Mm. Her name came up all the time, and you would talk about her as though I was very familiar <laughs> with who she was, and like I would just automatically understand all the references you were making to La Malinche. And I was just like, yes, yeah, sure. La Malinche, <laughs> of course. But I have to say, I don't know very much of her story. Well, I think that she is, I don't think she's a particularly obscure figure. I think a lot of listeners will know her name or at least know her as a symbol or an idea, but certainly her biography Mm. is not anywhere near as well known as what she's come to symbolise. So what is that symbol? You say that she's an icon. So I guess for me, she's not just, she's one of actually, I think, one of the most iconic female figures in history. Wow. Yeah, I know. That's a big call. Wow. That's a big call, people. And so I'm putting that out there because I think she's pretty much one of the most significant women to have changed the course of history. Shit. Yeah, listen to me. Hey, You are putting her on a very high pedestal. Um, Is this a couple of scotches in perhaps? <laughs> but it's really she had such a huge role in changing the face of Central America. Yeah, she, right. She really honestly did. But that's not the only reason that I find her fascinating. It's also because of how she's been remembered. And I think how she's been remem- remembered tells us in no uncertain terms 
how women have been viewed throughout history. And this, I think, is, you know, this is one of those really fascinating things about women who do play a huge role in universal affairs and in in the changing face of society is that how do we remember those women mm-hmm. very very differently to how we remember the men and and the way that those stories are constructed and the way that they are told to us and what gets left in and what gets left out That's and right. what gets glossed over precisely yeah and she i think is really one of the absolute best examples of this historically. Well, let's see how that unravels because, Alicia, you're talking in a lot of abstractions. I am. I we am. Want, we want the tangible I know, stuff now. I know. And, of course, that's because I don't want to give away too much yes, of the story. You of know I want to just hold it back. I'm just <laughs> trying to reel you in. So I'm reeled. Good. Excellent. So let's dive on this yes. in then. Hooks in. Excellent. Start so reeling me. We'll begin at the beginning, shall we? Well, it is the very best place to start. It is. How many times have we made? We've said it every so many times. Sorry. Yeah. Sorry. Sorry, everybody. It will happen again. Yeah, it will. So we'll start at the very end of the 15th century. Mm -hmm. But the story that we're going to follow takes place predominantly in uh, the 1500s or as I like to call them, the century of excellent beards. Um, (laughs) That's good. Have you seen the beards that were around in the 16th century? Oh, now that I look. I've never reflected on it specifically, but I can now bring to mind portraits from the era. So many beards. Um, yeah, sure. Great. I'm into beards. You know, and fashion, it fluctuates, it peaks and troughs. Mm-hmm. But in terms of beards, yeah. one of the best times to be alive with a beard. 1500s and 2014. Yeah, pretty much. Best, best time, time to have beards. a beard. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So the story that we're talking and about. 1899. Sorry, please go on. Uh, yes, that's right. Also, mm. it would have been another great time mm. for a beard. So La Malinche is this name that gets thrown about for today's figure, but she, she's gone by a lot of different names. She's known, known by a lot of different names, including Melinson, Doña Marina, Malinal or Malinali, and, of course, Malinche. So the Malinson is like an honorific suffix at the end there, the, mm. the sin, and Malinal is the name that she was given at birth. So that becomes uh-huh. Malinson. And this was possibly misheard by the Spanish as Malinche. Right. So this is possibly where this La Malinche because comes Because I was from. also wondering where the La comes from. Because yes. Because that seems like it's not a part of her yes, so name. That, yeah, because it's an article. It's like yeah. the, the Malinche. The Malinche. Yeah, so she's come to be remembered as the Malinche. So as I said, somewhere towards the end of the 1400s, Al Malinson was born and um, she was actually probably born of a fairly high rank within her um, own community. She was the daughter of a cacique who is basically the leader of a community. Mm -hmm. And so later on in life, her knowledge of diplomatic affairs as well as her sort of manipulation of language suggests that she was indeed raised in a noble household. I like that you say manipulation of language. Okay. Well, yeah. Well, again, Mm. we'll just drop it. (laughs) All right then. We'll see where we go. We've got some hooks. So this is who she is, but what is the world in which we are placed? Lauren, let me introduce you. I I feel like that's a question I should be asking you. Alicia, please tell us what is the world in which we are placed? Let me introduce you. Situate us. Set the scene. The Aztecs. Yes. Yes. Beautiful. Thank you very much. So... (laughs) Let us explore briefly the world of the Aztecs. Please. If we can, because it makes me very, very happy. <laughs> I can um, tell you are so excited. I just really like it. So 
I can't remember I spoke much about this in the uh, La Llorona episode because if you listen to that episode, I did touch very briefly yeah. on this period of history and very briefly on La Malinche's story as well. But the Aztecs, they weren't actually an ancient people. No, they're only 500, 600 years not away? Even, not well, even? Yeah, well, they sort of arrived into central Mexico in around about the 1200s, 1300s. Mm. And mm. then, of course, by 1521, then they, the were Spanish du- came they were done and dusted. And they all got diseases and died. Yeah. So yeah. that's actually quite and, a blip and in history. Where, how far did their civilization spread? Because when I think of the Aztecs, I mean, we're in – Modern day Mexico and are we also in modern day Peru? No, not That's at all. That's the Mayans. That's the Incas. The Incas. That's the Incas, yes, who people confuse with the Mayans yes. all and the time. This is the thing I think that particularly, look, in Australia we're very far away from the Americas yep. and we get a lot of this second, like this is not stuff that we're taught. So no. I think particularly for Australians, we these three civilizations, the Mayans, the Incans and the Aztecs, kind of morph into this vague idea, oh, like of, idea of Central South and South America. South, somewhere over there. Exactly. But very, very, distinct very, very distinct. Yeah. So the interesting thing is that really throughout what we now know as modern Mexico, there were a whole bunch of different civilizations that had come and gone, including the Toltecs, the Olmecs, mm-hmm. the Zapotecs, Mixtecs. But by the time we get to the Aztecs rule, as I said, sort of around about the 1200s, 1300s, and they had moved down from basically from New Mexico, Texas sort of Mm. area. They'd come down from there. And so they were a very warlike people and they had proceeded to, of course, basically subsume a lot of these other Indigenous groups under their sway, basically Mm. as an empire. Mm -hmm. And part of that as well were the Maya. So they were around at the same time. Okay, they did overlap. They did overlap. And gosh, I feel so ignorant about this whole period of history. Oh, I anyway. think it's a very complicated period of yeah. history that if if you actually don't sit down and study it, then you do only just sort of have these very vague mm. notions of it, right? Mm. And in fact, such vague notions that just so you know, Aztec is not even really the correct term. Ooh, wow. Yeah. Well, that does it shouldn't surprise me, should no. it? It shouldn't surprise me. <laughs> so uh, the Aztecs were actually known as the Mexica. And that is spelled M-E-X-I-C-A. So it's clearly where we get Mexico Mexico from. So is this a Spanish colonial thing that they called them the Aztecs? Aztec was applied to them later. Mm. So at the time they referred to themselves as the Mexica. So they basically came in as colonisers themselves. Mm. Like the Mongols, like spreading... Taking other lands, other people taking other their... other indigenous yeah. groups under their wing. Yeah. And they ruled it all from their fabulous, amazing swamp city of um, <laughs> Tenochtitlan. You love this so much. I do. Look I at love your gestures. I wish that everybody could <laughs> see the flourishes that you are applying to all of this stuff. They're fabulous swamp city. Yeah, they're fabulous swamp city. Uh, so, well, Tenochtitlan was their the capital, was their, their city that they built on what was basically a swamp. <laughs> and at the time of the Spaniards' arrival, you could think London had about 60,000 inhabitants. Yeah. Wow. Ten- yeah. I know, but wait till you hear. That's not very many people. It's not. Tenochtitlan had about 
200,000 <gasps> inhabitants wow. at the same It was huge. Wow. It was massive. And it was built on a swamp, as I said. So it was essentially in the middle of a lake and it was accessible by causeways. So um, this is quite strategically useful, as yeah. you could imagine. And the city itself was split up with canals and on those canals were floating gardens and there was a huge marketplace in the middle where, of course, was the Templo Mayor. Wow. The am, big, huge temple. My in the mind is blown that I've never heard of this before. Oh come on! This sounds amazing. It, and well, it was. I don't. Why was this not taught to us? Well, because we don't live anywhere near the Americas. Yeah, maybe That's if you live near it. the Americas, you learn about this. <laughs> I don't know. But Tenochtitlan, I want to not to be confused with Teotihuacan. Of course. We would never Why would you do that? Them up. What fool would do that? But that's the huge area where there's the Pyramid of the Sun and the Pyramid of the Moon. Oh, I, I, can, I have heard of those. You probably, yes. those are the sort of the pictures that you see when you look up ancient civilization. But the thing are is. Are they in contemporary Mexico City? No. So here's the thing, right? So. This is why I say not to be confused because this is something else that's important to this story mm-hmm. for, for people who don't know is that um, included. is that Teotihuacan, which is where the huge big pyramids are, that's outside of Mexico City and it wasn't used by the Aztecs in their time. It was a previous civilization that had built those pyramids and this is the reason why it wasn't destroyed by the Spanish because the Spanish didn't even know it was there when oh. they arrived. It, the jungle had taken it over. The Indigenous people knew that it was still there and they'd occasionally use it and occasionally go there. But the fact that it had fallen into disuse is the only thing that saved it from the Spanish. It's just tapping into so many of my favourite things. Yeah, exactly. So it actually was not destroyed simply because they were unaware of its existence. They were covered in jungle. Yeah. Yes. Oh, my God. So, as I said, they were actually ruling from Tenochtitlan, which is where current day Mexico City is. Okay. And the reason why, I mean, there are the ruins of Templo Mayor are there. You can go and see the the ruins. But the reason why most of that city doesn't exist is because the Spanish Mm. systematically tried to destroy, as of course they did, anything that was vaguely Vaguely pagan. Vaguely pagan. Vaguely pagan. Was pagan. Decidedly pagan. Decidedly. According to that. Well. Decidedly non-Catholic. Yes, that's what we should say. That's right. But, I mean, the Aztecs themselves. So we talk about Aztec mythology, which is something that I find fascinating, of course. Endlessly fascinating. Endlessly. But much like the Romans, they had actually subsumed other mythologies Mm -hmm. into their own mythology. So their pantheon was made up of the gods of most of the civilizations that had come before them anyway. So as I said... The Mexica are the ones in charge, ruling from amazing city. Swamp city. Swamp city. Tenochtitlan. Swamp city. Swamp city. That's what they called it at the time. It's not. And they ruled, of course, the people from whom Melinson came. So the area of Mexico where Melinson was born, it's basically on the coast of the Gulf of Mexico, mm-hmm. sort of halfway between Mexico City and the Yucatan Peninsula on the very eastern side of Mexico. Okay. So if you've got a map in front of you, you'll be able to follow the history of Mexico <laughs> along with us on said map. So it's believed that her father died when she was quite young and her mother remarried again. And this time in her new marriage, she had a more important son. 
Of course. Of course, as you do. Her stepfather may have seen Melinson as a little bit of an obstacle, mm-hmm. um, basically a hindrance to what he wanted to do. So the solution was selling. Marry her off? No. Sell her off. The solution was to sell Melinson off to some Mayan slavers. Oh, no. Because like all good societies, we already have a slave trade. Great. So the slavers then sold Melinson off to another group of Mayans. And by this time, she's changed hands a couple of times, right, as a young girl. But she's a clever girl, okay, and this is going to be super important. And as she's being sold on and traded and swapping hands, she's learning to speak the language of each of the new people that she comes into contact with. I'm assuming that this is a very important part of her story, this language issue. very important indeed. And so in another war between the group that she was a slave for at the time and another group, she changed hands again, this time as a tribute to a cacique of Tabasco, which sits sort of east again towards the Yucatan Peninsula. By the time she arrived in Tabasco, she could speak Mayan and Nahuatl. Now, Nahuatl is the is essentially uh, the Mexica language. It's still a spoken language that exists today in Mexico. And cool. in fact, most of us use Nahuatl words on a daily basis. Do we? Ever had an avocado? <gasps> I've had avocado today and yesterday and the day before and probably the day before that. Oh, of course you had. Or chocolate. I also have had that today and yesterday and the day before and probably the day before that. <laughs> or chili? Yes. yes, but maybe not today or, or yesterday. Look, maybe or two, three days ago. Yep. Yeah. And other common Nahuatl words as well are coyote, of course. Oh. Peyote, of course. Of um, course. Axolotl, of course. I and say that often. Tomato. Tomato. You probably say tomato more than tomato? you say. Tomato. Tomato, tomato. Tomato. Axolotl, axolotl. Axolotl, axolotl. <laughs> no, that doesn't work, does it? Peyote. Peyote. <laughs> Let's stop it. Okay. All right. As I said, she was probably really just in her late teens or early 20s by the time she ends up here in Tabasco. And Tabasco is, sauce. Yes, exactly. Another another one. And this is where she was going to change hands as a slave for the last and her most fateful time. Okay. Now, there had been some noises over in the uh, New World. Noises? Quote, quote, unquote, New World by this it time. It was a noisy place. It was. Well, of course, word of the New World was spreading. Okay, is that what you mean by that's noises? What, that's what I mean. <laughs> like, what kind of noises do you mean? Are they, just, I don't are know. they having parties all the time and their North American neighbors are <laughs> like, complaining? Turn it down. Like, no, that's not what I meant. There'd been noise of how amazing it is. That's kind of what I'm trying to say. Everybody, yeah. Yeah. get on down. That's right. Because old mate Columbus, he had um, already set up the first permanent European settlement in what was then known as Hispaniola, which is modern day Haiti slash Dominican Republic. Mm-hmm. And Spain was trying to make inroads into this new frontier. They of loved course. it. They, they loved it. And they were sending more and more ships into the new world. Now, on one of these ships arriving in 1504 was the then 18-year-old Hernan Cortez. Oh. Old Cortez. Cortez. Cortez himself. Cortez, the very one. Cortez wasn't as yet anyone of note, but over the next few years he climbed through the ranks, helping to spread the Spanish rule into Cuba. Now, by 1511 he was working as an aide for the Spanish governor in Cuba, Diego Velázquez, who was pretty impressed by this fine young man. And he was becoming quite the man of note. He had a lot of local slaves, which, you know, really shows your status. Mm. And... A lot of land and cattle. 
and he had a wife. Oh, well, just one. Just one. Just one. They were Catholic. One Catalina Juarez, who was actually Velasquez's sister-in-law. Now, you may be wondering, why am I talking about this man? Well, why are you talking about this man, Alicia? Of course, Cortez is going to become one of the most influential figures in Central American mm. history. I don't um, know why he's famous, but I just, I know his name. We do need to know about him because Cortez and Melinson are going to become their fates and their histories are going to become so intertwined and historically they are basically the you can't have one story person. without you can't have one story without the other mm. so cortez was gaining power and prestige in cuba and he was using that power to demand more slaves and encourage other settlers to also demand more slaves of because course. you Works know for everybody Great when you're times. entitled to things you should be entitled to more slaves everything right Yeah, there are no limits. No limits to the slaves you should have. (sighs) So this started to strain things between Cortez and Velasquez. And when an opportunity arose for Velasquez to get rid of Cortez, he took it. Now, that opportunity was the mainland. So word had started to spread about the gold and silver Mm. and jewels and riches Mm -hmm. coming out of mainland Mexico. And Velasquez appointed Cortez in charge of a new expedition into the new world. Now, after a lot of toing and froing and a couple of expeditions that left without Cortez, he eventually gets there in 1518. Now, I know this isn't Cortez's story. I'm sorry. <laughs> but as I said, it's really essential to know. Okay. So he arrives into modern-day Mexico via an island called Cozumel and he arrived with about 11 ships, 500 men and a couple of horses okay. and also a bunch of weapons and cannons. Of course mm-hmm. you do. It's necessary when you're traipsing through the jungle. It is so necessary. To have those cannons. You need them. So while when he first arrived, he heard about two Spaniards who had basically been shipwrecked on the earlier expedition and um, who had taken up living with the local Maya. Uh So he sounds like a boy's own adventure novel from 1873. Well, it is a bit because so Cortes sent for these, so there were two of them, and he sent for them to sort of be recalled back to the Spanish. And when his little expedition returns, they only came back with one of them because the (laughs) other guy refused to return. He was like, He's like, no. I'm Maya now. Yeah. Like, okay. Yeah. He'd lived with them for a couple of years. He decided he preferred their way of life and he didn't want to return right. to the Spanish. Good for him. Yeah, good for him. But the other guy who did return was a Franciscan priest. Of course he was. Of course he was. Um, named Geronimo de Aguilar. He probably hated every day that he was with those. Well, one of those godforsaken Mayans, those pagans. Yeah. Well, one of the stories about Aguilar is that he confirmed to Cortez and the other Spaniards his that he'd never lost his faith, his mm-hmm. Catholic faith in all that time because he was able to correctly identify the day of the week. Okay. Like he was such a good Catholic that he'd been keeping track on like the Julian calendar of what day of the week it was. Like he so had fallen into the, the, the pagan, pagan calendar the pagan, of the yeah, Mayans. Exactly. And that's how he proved he was still like a good Catholic Spaniard. Of course, because he still had to do his thing on Sunday. That's right. He did. And he didn't eat any meat on Friday. On a Friday. Except a bit of fish and look, a beaver if it came across him because they count. (laughs) I don't know if they they live near the water. Beavers? No. I don't know if beavers are that far south. Not not that far south. But anyway, in his time living there though, he had picked up something very useful, which wasn't dysentery. It was, in fact, <laughs> it was Mayan 
He learned how to speak the oh. language. I like the way you were staring at me. You were staring at me. You're like, what? What the fuck? I don't know what it was. This was incredibly useful. Yeah. So yeah, it would be. It was like, great. Language is the key to everything, Alicia. It is. He's like, you're going to be really, really helpful on this voyage. So let's go. Yes. So from here, Cortez and his small fleet sailed around the Yucatan Peninsula until they finally arrived at the Tabasco River. Where, of course, we remember... The Tabasco sauce is flowing for everybody. It is. It is where the Tabasco sauce distillery is kept to this day. The actual river is just Tabasco sauce. <laughs> That's, yes. Yes, it is. It's not. Um, <laughs> it's not. But it's where Melinson is currently a slave mm-hmm. to the cacique of Tabasco. So now the locals of Tabasco aren't very keen on these new arrivals and you can guess what happened when they came ashore. War. War. That's exactly <laughs> what happened when they came ashore. Yeah. Precisely what That's happened. That's where those cannons came in useful. Yeah. And, of course, because of their superior weaponry, the Spanish quashed that Lost. pretty quick. Oh. No. <laughs> you know. Lauren, you know they didn't leave. I'm you just know. You're being alternative s- histories. No. It didn't happen that way. We can dream. Now, after the battle, the um, Tabasco cacique was like, all right, we want to get rid of these guys. They are trouble. And so in a bid to make peace and basically to get them to go on their way, he sent them gifts. Now, dysentery. No, not dysentery. Now. Pneumonia. What kind Influenza. of gift can you give to some strange invading force? Why don't you give them. Gold. 20 beautiful young women. Oh, Fuck. Yeah. I shouldn't be surprised. Why am I always surprised? I don't know why. History has taught us again and again. Women are just... That women are objects objects To be traded. Currency. They're property. Men. So they turn Mm. up and they say, you know, lovely to meet you, Cortez, and your men. How about you fuck off now and leave us alone? But take these 20 beautiful young women with you. Take these women with you as a thanks very much and on your way. Yes, and of course, among them was Al Melinson. Now, Cortez is a good Catholic man, right? So he's got to marry them before he. That's right. This is not a free for all. Shit's not going to get mm-hmm. crazy. He's not going to marry them, but he is going to divvy them up, you know, e- equally. E- <laughs> e- <laughs> he's gonna. He's going to baptize uh-huh. them first because uh-huh. that's important. So um, they're all going to be baptized first. Thank you very much, and then they'll be shared out among the captains. And then any leftover women will be raffled out. All right. Oh, okay. Shit. It's a society, Lauren. Oh, fuck. We're living in a society. It's not a free for all. Oh, but he's a good Catholic. <laughs> yeah. Oh, so no. Imagine that. Like, I it's feel horrific. Like, I feel that scotch coming back up yeah. my throat now. So, super Catholic thing to do is to raffle out the leftover ladies to just whoever's going. So they're baptised, all of them, and Melinson is given the new name of Marina as her Catholic name. So the party then travelled on from Tabasco, west along the coast, up to what is now modern-day Veracruz. And here, when they landed ashore, they received an emissary from Moctezuma II, who was, of course, sitting back on the throne in Swamp City, Tenochtitlan. Uh Now, he had heard about the arrival of these strange men and their weird beasts slash horses. Okay. So oh, my God. I thought for a moment women. that you meant no, the women. No, I don't mean the women. No. Oh, no. no. I was like, don't tell me it gets even worse. No. No. Okay. Oh, the my God. The horses. Because I'd never seen horses Oh, before. my God. Okay. No, that makes sense. No. I just 
fuck. Okay, yeah. please go on. So there's a story about the Mexica basically believing that Cortez was sort of the returning god Quetzalcoatl, returning from exile, and that they welcomed him with open arms because they thought he and his men were gods. Mm. Now, I think some of the populace may well have believed that, but I think that it's most likely that Montezuma and many of the other leaders pretty much saw these strange men and their strange horses and they were like, no, actually, this is not what's happening. Mm, this is bad news. This is bad, This yeah. is definitely bad news. And so Montezuma sent out his emissaries to Cortez basically not to invite him to come in have a good time and see what was going on and be like, oh, great, you're a god, please come and see mm. us. Basically to say, hi, glad you came. Fuck off Go now. away now. Yeah. <laughs> and they were, yeah, basically sent to politely ask him to fuck off. Yeah. And they did this by sending him gifts, which was a big mistake. So these gifts aren't women. Okay. These gifts are gold. Gold. Hello, big mistake. Well, I knew that the gift of gold came into it somewhere. Definitely. Now, the last thing you want to give a conquering Catholic Spaniard is gold. gold. His eyes are like Scrooge McDuck's. Oh, when he's seen with the the dollar signs? The dollar signs. That's Cortez. He's like, ka-ching, ka-ching, ka-ching. Precisely, yeah. So Montezuma's gone like, oh, here you go. Here are some souvenirs of your time in our (laughs) – our. but maybe now you can go away. Whereas they've gone, oh, I think we'll be staying. So that was a huge mistake. Should have given him anything else. Now, you may be asking, how did they even know what they were saying? This because m- they had. This may be your question, right? So well, the Mexica spoke Nahuatl and Friar Aguilar only spoke Mayan. Mayan but right? they had. Well, well, well. So Melinson, uh-huh. slave Melinson. She speaks both. She'd been given to one of the other captains, right? So Cortez didn't even know who she was at this stage. But, of course, in her years away, she'd learnt both these languages. So she communicated to Aguilar that, well, actually, I can be of assistance because I can speak both these languages and I can help you out. So she translated the Nahuatl into Mayan Mm. back to Aguilar. And and Aguilar Aguilar translated into Spanish. Back to Cortez. Wow. So you can see how everyone's like, hello, <laughs> you're handy. You are a useful person to have aboard. Let's keep you in the fold. Uh-huh. Now, Cortez was impressed and knew that she was going to be pretty indispensable because if it wasn't for her, of course, they'd have no idea what was going on. Yeah. So they travelled on again further up the coast until they arrived with another Indigenous group, the Totonacus. And here, thanks to Melinson, again translating, Cortez was able to learn that the Totonacas weren't very big on the Mexicas at all. In fact, they were basically sworn enemies mm. because they also came under the Mexica rule and the Mexicas demanded taxes, tributes for sacrifice, slaves from them, and they basically had had enough of really this, this ruling force that was in place. So this gave Cortez an idea because he thought, well, if I can make allies among other Indigenous groups that don't like the Mexicas, <gasps> well, then I might stand a chance we against... We can band up against them together. Against Montezuma. And then I get the gold. That's right. So he's beginning to hatch a plan here, mm-hmm. um, thinking about all the riches that he knew lay in Tenochtitlan. So he used Melinson's skills here to help him get the cacique to agree to be his ally against the Mexica. So we already have one ally in place. Now, this is only the first of many, many allies that Cortez made along the way amongst the different Indigenous groups. And every time he would do this through 
Melinson. Now, Melinson, because as we said, we suspect she had this noble upbringing, she was the kind of woman that caciques would automatically listen to mm. when she was standing next to Cortez mm. translating because she didn't just translate. She didn't literally translate word for word what was being said. She interpreted it mm. and she helped him to understand what was actually being said, right. what was meant, yep. how different procedures went down, how, uh-huh. um, you know, how you should approach certain subjects, all of these very nuanced yes, sort yeah. of interactions that she knew that of she's, course she's not just aware of the language she's aware of all of that cultural baggage yeah. that is coming with it and diplomacy yeah. she understands it so she's not just giving a straight translation she's actually already proving herself to be even more valuable because she's she's able to interpret mm. all of this extra stuff mm. and she actually begins to sort of speak to these caciques more on her own terms without even really speaking through Cortez anymore. (laughs) And this is also probably because she could already see where things were going, right? So is she sort of because I guess Cortez wouldn't really know what she's saying. Not at all. So she's just adding her own stuff in Mm -hmm. and is sort of beefing it up or changing it a little bit or doing whatever she needs to do to sell this message. Already. And she can see, and this is the message that she's passing on, she can already see that the Spanish are the future. Yeah. She's like, look, this is... It's coming. This is coming. And you want to align yourself Mm. with these guys because... You don't want to be on the losing side. You don't want to be on the losing side. Mm -hmm. So she's already starting to form Mm. these bonds. And because of the way she spoke and because of the way that she manipulated. Now, this is what I mean by that language manipulation is because she'd had that sort of noble upbringing. Mm -hmm. Like with many languages, there are sort of different formal and informal versions of how you speak, right? And she would speak in a very proper formal way. And I imagine that she also carries... With her, because communication is also so much more than verbal, isn't it? Yeah, that's right. And if Body you're brought language, up, yes, yeah, mm-hmm. she's got the social capital perhaps. Yeah. And the know, confidence. The, yes. So she came across as somebody that you would listen to, yeah. somebody who knew what she was talking about and somebody that you would think, oh, okay, all and right. And who carries herself with. Precisely. Yeah. The, yeah. Yeah. So she's not, in, she's not just a slave in yeah. anyone's eyes. She already looks like she's an important person in which case everything she says carries weight. Mm. This helps Cortez to build an army and the army basically is made up of indigenous warriors. So heads up here because mm. I, I think we all know where this is going. I think we all well, know how history ends. Mm. But, and I'm not really spoiling it, but essentially it, this almost sort of means that the Spanish didn't conquer Mexico. Mm. It was the indigenous people who conquered their own yeah. land for the for Spanish. For the Spanish. But that's, oh. Yeah. yeah. Tragically ironic. Yeah. So this is also why we see yeah. that Melinson becomes such a scapegoat for this entire period of history. Oh, my God. Mm. So. Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> uh, precisely. Precisely. So now I mentioned Veracruz, all right, and I'll try to summarise as succinctly as I can an incident that happened in Veracruz at about this same time because it's pretty important to what happens next. So essentially Cortez set up Veracruz as, as its own independent little city. 
even though it was basically like a couple of tents on the beach, right? <laughs> and the upshot of this was that he declared himself the governor of, of his course. own city. Governor of these seven tents. That's right. And it meant that he didn't have to report anymore to Velasquez back in Cuba and that now uh-huh. he could report directly to the Spanish king, King uh-huh. Charles. But the problem here, right, is that the king had actually just appointed Velasquez as the only one officially allowed to conquer new lands. Right. So essentially what Cortez was doing was essentially illegal. Now, okay, Cortez didn't know this at the time. Well, yeah, because how would he? The the postal system is slow. not very efficient right. at the time, yeah. especially when you're conquering the new world. That's right. So when Cortes discovered that this had happened, he sent a ship back to Spain filled with the riches that he'd already <laughs> he received. He was like, mate, yes. look, I'm on your side. He's like, look, I'm doing good work. Yeah. <laughs> so maybe you should leave this to me. Yeah. And uh, George just like. Whoa, yeah, totally go for it, man. That's right. Charles, King Charles was like, yeah, you're right. Okay, (laughs) how about you keep doing that? Many of Cortez's men, though, were still pretty loyal to Velasquez and they sort of decided that they were going to steal a ship and head back to Cuba. Cortez got word of this and quashed the mutiny pretty early. He (laughs) hanged the ringleaders. Mm -hmm. He flogged about 200 (gasps) of his men who were wanting to head back and he also... As an example, cut off the feet oh. of one of the men who had been involved in the mutiny. Oh dear. Then famously, he sunk his ships oh. so <gasps> that no one else could try to escape. Oh, my God. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> now. If you were in, if you were one of his men, you'd be like, he's fucking lost it, hasn't he? Yeah, like, exactly. He's fucking lost yep. it. And yep. we are stuck here with this yep. fruitcake cake. Yeah. Man. So this is the thing, right, is in history a lot of people kind of see Melinson as sort of aligning herself to this man. With the colonizers. Like, yeah, but like it's all sort of her fault. Yeah. But I ask you, right, you see that happening in front of you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You see what this man is doing and what this man is capable of. Do you really think? She would want to go against that mm-hmm. rather than stay in that and man's she's good books. spent her life being traded between men. Precisely. How much agency does she have? That's exactly she's it. Just, she's looking after herself. And this is what she continues to do. As anyone would. Throughout this whole story and this is what's come back throughout history mm. to make her this villain. So yeah. Cortez, meanwhile, had been sending his own emissaries to Montezuma being like, can we please come visit you in Swamp City? Mm. And Montezuma was like, no. Nah. No. You can't. But they were like, well, we're just going to keep coming anyway. So they keep heading inland. By this time, he Cortez had rallied a bit of an army that was coming along with him. And this included a group called the Tlaxcaltecas who were also coming along. So after a few multiple defeats by the Spanish, they decided that they were going to broach peace with Cortez and come on board with him. So this army is building like kind of like a domino effect, you know, mm. or like a Snowball, maybe that's a what snowball. I mean. like a snowball. It's getting effect. bigger, getting bigger yes. as as it goes. And they reach the city state of Clolula. I hope I'm saying that right. I'm so sorry to everybody who lives there who's like you're saying that very very wrong. And this was an independent state, right? It was actually allied to Montezuma, so they were on the side with him. Yeah. And they presented a front to Cortez that appeared as though they were willing to sort of consult with him and welcome his men into the city. Now, Melinson overheard from an old woman that actually they were planning an ambush 
on Cortez and his <gasps> men. And she reported back to Cortez that she'd heard that they were telling the women and children to leave the city in readiness for the big battle that was going to happen. They were putting spikes up in the streets to kill the horses oh, when they fuck. came in. And so Cortez was, thank you very much, Melitzen, <laughs> for this intelligence. And he was like, well, we'll show them who's boss. So he sent a message that was like, hey, how about we meet with your nobles and just have a little chat? Yeah, and we'll like, get some pizza, right, some yeah. drinks. We're just like, going to have a talk. Yeah, it's cool. So they sent along the diplomats and nobles into basically like this little sort of courtyard. Oh, God, I feel nervous. In which they were then set on fire. Set upon, no, set upon by the Spanish on their horses uh-huh. who massacred them all Uh of course they did so this is that's playing dirty it is well what are you expecting lauren (laughs) what are you expecting but this is just the beginning of the bloodshed that's about to occur so they carried on and finally Mm. reached tenochtitlan and the spanish when they arrived were astounded by this city because they'd never seen anything 200,000 people they'd never seen anything like it canals it was luxurious, it was rich, it was full of gardens and grand houses. And by this stage, of I course... I really want to see what it would have looked it like. It would have been amazing. And, of course, at this point, all Montezuma can do is say, all right, come on in, guys, mm. and welcome Cortez and his men because he's got no option. So he basically puts them up in apartments close by to his own palace. And just FYI, Mm. during this time, the Spanish found a whole bunch of gold and trinkets and amulets and statues and they were like, wow, let's melt these down into bars of gold that we can take with us when we go. So they melted down all these precious objects because they had obviously no appreciation of what they actually were. Yeah. And they melted them down into these sort of ingots of gold that they could strap to their body underneath (laughs) their clothes, (laughs) which is going to... Those fuckers. Exactly. But they're going to get their comeuppance for that. Because this is like statues and shit that they had in the apartments. Yes. So they're just looting. Basically looting. Where they've been put up for the night. Uh They're stealing. They're just stealing everything that's there. So meanwhile back in Veracruz, because remember we've got Veracruz still happening, a group of Mexicas attacked the Spanish who were there and they wounded and took hostage one of the Spaniards because they were like, we're going to return this wounded soldier to Tenochtitlan to show that these men aren't gods, that we can Mm. actually Mm -hmm. injure them and they can die. In fact, they could die so well that on the way back to Tenochtitlan, this particular Spanish man did die from his wounds. So they were like, oh, well, that's a bit cumbersome. We'll just take his head back. So they chopped off his head and just returned his head back to Tenochtitlan. Now, of course, you can imagine this was a pretty bad move because Cortez gets wind of what's happened Mm -hmm. and he sends out orders among his men. Even though they're there in the city, he's like, right, fuck it, we're going to capture Montezuma while we're here Mm -hmm. in the city and we're going to take over. While we're living in his house, we're going (sighs) to capture him. And there are a few hundred of them and, of course, there are thousands of Mexicas but once they have Montezuma as a hostage, uh-huh. they pull the strings yeah. because there's not much you can do when your own leader is yeah. now hostage in his own house. Yeah. So now Montezuma is under Cortez's control and he orders that the Mexica responsible for the beheading are brought back to Tenochtitlan and he has them burnt at the stake in the middle of the marketplace. Fuck. So again, making a pretty big show of who's the boss here. So Montezuma basically becomes a prisoner in his own palace and the Mexica couldn't retaliate because of this. So there's basically a stalemate in place 
and it's in place for months. <laughs> so during this time, Melinson is instrumental in sort of advising not only Cortez but also Moctezuma as well, convincing him to see that Cortez has the upper hand oh my God. and that Spanish rule is inevitable. Wow. So she's – and codices from the time – I always want to say codexes because that sounds like it should be the codices. plural. But it's codices yeah. is the proper cl- yeah. plural. So they always show – Cortez and Melinson together. Whenever uh-huh. he's speaking to Moctezuma, speaking to any other. So, what are the, when are these courtesies from? So, they the are from the time. Yeah, mm. they're from the time. They're mainly from Franciscan friars, but mm-hmm. are also a lot of indigenous ones as well, like indigenous illustrations. And all of them show them together. She's always with him by his side. Mm. And by this time as well, she, of course, was learning to speak Spanish the whole time. Yes. So, by this point, Aguilar is no longer even necessary. Yeah. She's now doing the direct translation. Yeah. So, she has even more. Control, yeah. because there's no longer this second voice that goes through. You would have of thought Apollo. that Cortez so, would be learning. Why? <laughs> but why? Why would a colonial he must have power been very trusting? But I suppose he. Why wouldn't he be? He'd just be like, "Oh, I'm a Spanish man. Of course, she's going to do exactly Precisely. what I tell her to do. Why wouldn't she do exactly what I tell why her to do? Why would she come up with her own thing to mm. say? No, she'll say she's what a I, woman. She doesn't have thoughts of her own. She'll say what I want Don't her to know say. Why my Spanish conquistador hasn't. He doesn't have a very Spanish conquistador no. voice at all, does no. he? Anyway. No, no. So that's my man in power voice. It was a good one. Yeah. So they've actually become so incredibly intertwined with each other that they were even both referred to, even Cortez himself began to get referred to as Melinson quite <laughs> because they were just one and the same it's by just, this, this stage. That's that power couple. It's that power couple. It's, yeah, it's like Brangelina. Brangelina. <laughs> that's pretty much what occurs. So the other thing to keep in mind though at this time is that the Spanish actually had enormous respect for Melinson. Mm. And rather than sort of demonising her or seeing them her, her as, as the other, as you might well expect mm. them to, they refer to her as Doña Marina, which is a title. It's a respectful title. Exactly. Yeah. And they already can comprehend the incredible debt they owe to her mm. and they know they wouldn't have gotten anywhere near as far as they have without oh her God. help. Oh, so, but, yeah, no wonder she bears the weight Precisely. Oh, my God, what a weight it is. Yeah. But, of course, so now they're in control of the city. But Velasquez, remember that guy Velasquez? Of course. Yeah. He's sent an army out after Cortez. Really? Yes, he has. Is he just jealous? A little bit. Is he just like, I was supposed to be the king's favourite. I was going to bring him all the gold. How dare you usurp me? Yeah, so he sends his army out after Cortez for pretty much those reasons. Yeah. And Cortez gets wind of it and he's a little bit fucked because he's like, well, we can't <laughs> wait for them to arrive here in the capital because then we're dead meat. But if I leave, then what, they lose what's going to happen? See. You know, yeah. like the Mexica will probably rise up and take over. But he takes the risk and he rides out to meet Velasquez. So he rides out and ambushes them and basically defeats that before that can even happen. And most of Velasquez's men at this point now defect to Cortez because they can see. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Of course you would. But they can see all the golden shite that he's got. But of course, what does the new army bring? Smallpox. I was going to say, oh, now we get to the diseases. Yeah. So now fucking history's ramping Finally up. Finally right? we get to the okay. diseases. Yeah. I've been yeah. expecting this for a long time. Yeah. So history ramping up. Right. So meanwhile, <laughs> I know there's a lot going on, but, you know, history's an important thing. So meanwhile, <laughs> back in 
Back in Tenochtitlan, right? Uh-huh. While, while, Swamp City? Back in Swamp City. While Cortez is out, he's left one of his men in charge of Montezuma. You are doing and, some great arms. <laughs> I wish everybody could see <laughs> yeah, your right. arms. Yeah. And he's decided that he's going to let the locals celebrate one of their festival days that's coming that's up. That's so like, nice of him. It's so nice of him. But the rest of the Spanish and also the Tlaxcaltecas, if you remember them, they're like, this yeah. is a bad idea, uh-huh. right? They could totally rebel at any stage. So they charge in to quash a rebellion that's not happening <laughs> during this ceremony <laughs> oh, no. and they murder about 600 Mexican nobles. Who were just who doing were just their celebratory business. Having their celebration, <gasps> who were totally unarmed and now the populace are like, you know what? Fuck, fuck you guys. Fuck you guys. Fuck you guys. And this was fu- our day. That's right. And How also- dare you do this of, on, of all days. That's right. And they're also like, you know what? Forget Moctezuma because who cares about that guy? He's doing nothing. He's just one guy. You can have your hostage. We're done with this and we're going to rise Revolution. up. Revolution. So – all out Can war. Can you hear the people sing? Singing the song of angry men. So Alvarado, who was the Spanish guy that was left in charge, he's like, Montezuma, you need to tell your people to chill. So Montezuma's like, all right, I'll tell them to chill. So he goes out and he's like, hey, everybody. Chill. And everybody's like, fuck you. <laughs> and he's pelted with stones. Oh, shit. Now, we don't know if he was pelted with stones by his own people or by the Spaniards because everybody's pretty much, you're useless now. Yeah. And he. They realised, did they just like realise that he was just a figurehead and actually pres- had no power? Precisely, And everybody's just Lauren? like, wait a minute, he's just a man. Just like any of us are just a man and all of his power is symbolic and we can bring him down. Precisely. And one of the stones hits him <gasps> in the side of and his he head. Die? He does. He doesn't die on the spot, but he dies within a few days yeah. of the wound that he's sustained. So Cortez returns and he's like, what the fuck is going on? <laughs> I left. <laughs> I left. You had one job. Two fucking days to go and deal with this fucker Velasquez. How do you yeah. say his name? Mm-hmm. And I come back to this shit. And shit has hit the fan. So this leads to what's known as La Noche Triste or the Night of the Sorrows when oh. they when they were like, right, we need to escape the city. So oh. under the cover of darkness – they try to sneak out of the city and yeah. flee. But, of course, <gasps> soon the Mexicas are alerted and, again, an attack. <sighs> and now remember how I said they had all that gold? Smallpox? Oh, gold. Yeah, smallpox. <laughs> remember how I said they had all that gold strapped oh, to their bodies? yes. Well, it slowed them of down. Of course, because gold is heavy. heavy and they couldn't <laughs> fight because they've like, got all this gold strapped to their bodies and they're falling off the causeways as they're trying to flee into the lake and drowning because the gold, the gold sinking them. is dragging. That's Ironic. It's such irony. Oh, my God. Such. That's what you get. That's where your greed gets you. Such dudes. irony. Oh, my God. I know. But Cortez escapes with Melinson in tow and they regather in a place called Otumba. Now here Cortez decides that they're going to lay siege to the city and he gathers all of his allies and the other indigenous the groups together. The ones who didn't drown. The ones who didn't gold. drown. That's right. He gathers them all together and what I'm going to do is I'm going to skip over the toing and the froing that goes on here because there's a lot of it. Mm. But needless to say, there's a lot of ground made, a lot of ground not made. They repelled many times. They go back in many times. Meanwhile, food's not getting into the capital because they're cutting off all supplies. Well, that's what happens when you're under siege. People are getting weaker and weaker and weaker. Smallpox is spreading mm-hmm. like wildfire and 
as you can imagine, so this goes on for a while, but by August the 13th, which is a... That's your birthday. It's my birthday. Not in 1521 though. Wow. Um, but by August the 13th, I... 1521, Tenochtitlan had fallen oh my God. to the Spanish. Oh, my God. King Charles was pretty impressed. Of course he was. He said, you know what, Cortez? You can be governor of that there, Mexico. Yeah. Thank you mm. very much. <laughs> so now Cortez has his golden city. He's in charge and he settles here into life for a while in some comfort. And Melinson, as you can imagine, has now by this time become his mistress. Lover. Uh-huh. That's right. Uh-huh. And by uh-huh. 1522, 1523-ish, she's given birth to their son Martin. So in all this time, all that translating has mm. led to more than just merely mm. the translating. So, <laughs> yes, your face. Mm-hmm. Correct. So Cortez builds his family a new house just south of the city itself and he moves Martin and Melinson there. And Is it a giant mansion? Pretty much. And now that sounds really nice and everything, but also brush Melinson under the carpet because look who's coming to the capital, my actual wife. Oh. Catalina. Oh, hey. hey Catalina. Catalina. <laughs> so good for you to come all the way to over see here. my beautiful city that I created. Great, look at this. Made these gardens. They're so nice. You should spend all of your time in these beautiful gardens and not in the house. I have no mistresses. Yeah. (laughs) At all. And he builds Catalina and she's come with her family, builds builds her and her family their own lovely little. The the in-law's house. Yeah, builds them an in-law's house. And interestingly, by November of 1522, Catalina had died under mysterious circumstances. Oh, did she now? In that very house. Oh. Now, um, everyone oh. in the house uh, also died? No. What happened was there was a bit of a party, a bit of a, a shindig happening in the house uh-huh. and Catalina apparently said something that just annoyed Cortez a bit and she stormed off to her chambers and he followed. There was some shouting and some oh, fighting no. and some banging around of noises and then a little while later, Cortez called for help to come. Uh, help arrived and he was like, Catalina, she's died from an asthma attack. Uh-huh. And no domestic violence was involved at all. She died from an asthma attack. Yeah. According to Cortez. Of course. So, as oh, you can imagine, no. Catalina's family charged yeah. Cortez Were they just with like, murder. well, fucking bullshit, we heard you yeah that's right but bizarrely this charge gets subsumed into a whole bunch of other charges that are made against cortez in his lifetime and none of them get resolved until after his death so it's certainly indicative though of the fact that cortez was by now if he hadn't been before a little bit unhinged Mm. i would say cortez's paranoia extends to his captains and he starts sending them off on suicide missions because okay. he suspects that they're all going to rise up against him, which some of them do. And this ends up with him also hanging the new Mexica leader, who's still the figurehead that's, mm. you know, he's trying to, should be brokering. The new Montezuma. Yeah, that he should be brokering peace yeah. with. There was another one in between that also died, but that's history. So he goes on a few missions of his own on which he takes Melinson with him as his interpreter. Again, this Quote is... Quote, unquote, interpreter. Because she's also his mistress. Lover. Yeah. They end up leaving Martin in the hands of Spanish families back in the new city. So on one expedition, they ended up travelling through Melinson's native territory and one Spaniard who was with them named Bernal Diaz del Castillo, who actually wrote an account of all of this in later life, he said this, 
So the Indians of Shikalongo, who were the traders that Melinson had first been given to by her family, mm-hmm. gave the child, Melinson, to the people of Tabasco and the Tabascans gave her to Cortez. I myself knew her mother and her half-brother, who was then a man and ruled the town jointly with his mother, since the old lady's second husband had died. After they became Christians, the mother was called Marta and the son Lazaro. All this I know very well, because in the year 1523, after the conquest of Mexico and the other provinces, and at the time of Cristobal de Olid's revolt in Honduras, which is a whole nother story, (laughs) I passed through the place with Cortez. Thus it was that mother, son and daughter came together Mm -hmm. and it was easy enough to see from the strong resemblance between them that Doña Mm -hmm. Marina and the old lady were related. Mm -hmm. Both she and her son were very much afraid of Doña Marina. They feared that she sent for them to put them to death and they wept because, of course, she was the one that sold her into slavery when she was a girl. When Doña Marina saw her mother and half-brother in tears, she comforted them, saying that they need have no fear. She told her mother that when they handed her over to the men from Chicalango, they had not known what they were doing. She pardoned the old woman and gave them many golden jewels and some clothes. Okay. So she's found her mother who sold her into slavery when she was a child. And she's basically going, it's cool, mum. It's fine. It's all right. I actually did pretty well out of it. Don't worry. <laughs> I've done pretty well out of it. <laughs> I'm now the mistress of the governor of yeah. Mexico. So I, look, betrayed all of my people and <laughs> possibly this conquest would not have happened had it not been for you selling me yeah. into slavery. But, but but the thing here as well is that she didn't betray her people. Well, no, they, you're cause, right. Because they, the she Aztecs didn't. weren't her people. No, that's correct. That is true. That is true. Yeah. So even though she's in such a position of power and the main advisor, basically she's an advisor mm. and consort to the conqueror, she still bestows this mm. mercy on her mm. family who sold her into slavery. The other interesting thing about these travels though as well is that things between Cortez and Melinson are starting to get a little bit murky because on this particular exhibition in 1524, in fact, shortly before this meeting with her mother, Castillo also tells us that Melinson had married another of the Spanish captains. Yeah, what? I know, Juan Jaramillo. Okay. That's a fun name to say. <laughs> now, some accounts like to suggest that Cortez had grown tired of Melinson, you know, you get tired of mistresses after a while, obviously, and then he wanted to offload her. And some accounts even suggest that she married him while he was too drunk to protest and say no. <laughs> of course. This, that's right. It's the start to any good marriage. <laughs> is. Now, this version of events is actually r- probably really far from the truth because it suggests that Melinson was just a pawn that mm. could be sort of shuffled off by Cortez. But even Bernal Diaz himself in his account refutes that as a preposterous idea because Melinson was held in far too much higher regard to get palmed off in such a way. Mm-hmm. The truth is it was probably Melinson herself who bartered for the marriage mm. on her own terms. So was she just like... That guy looks all right. I wouldn't mind me some of that and then made it happen. But beyond that, she also would have seen the writing on the wall at this stage, Mm -hmm. right? Not to mention, of course, that Cortez's dead wife had been murdered, right, by Cortez. Maybe it's time to get out. Yes. This guy's losing the plot. She would have known that Cortez was never going to marry her, ever. Oh, no. So... We can't say with certainty that this isn't what, or we can't even say with certainty that she wanted to marry Cortez. That's even what she wanted. Mm -hmm. But this is 
probably Melinson being like, I've had enough of this dirty work and I want out. And it's more likely that she was searching around for a suitable husband for herself among Cortez's higher ranking Mm. officials in order to sort of ensure that she could obtain land, Mm. Mm -hmm. security for herself in the inevitable time in the very near future where Cortez either fucks off or or dies. dies. Exactly. So she's basically future-proofing, right? Yeah. And so in this marriage to Caramillo, she's she's moved from this incredibly vulnerable position of Cortez's mistress to a really a securing, yeah, position. She's now basically mm. a Spanish noblewoman with yeah. legal rights. Yeah. So this idea that she was discarded by Cortez is actually beneath her intelligence. It's mm. quite insulting, really, mm. because we've seen how smart she is. We've seen absolutely, and that I think that just feeds into that whole narrative of the fact that women are supposed to be loyal to these men, who, yeah, you know, and supposed to be passive and, and meek. And oh, if you really loved him, you would have just stuck by him. But like, no, of course she's going to look after herself. Of course she's going to like women have so few options available yeah. to them, why not ensure that you're making the most strategic decision for yourself that you can? That's it's right. that or end up probably out on the streets again once Cortez does either die or kick her out or do something worse. Yeah. And she ends up like Catalina. Yeah. Yeah. And she also she's probably sick of being dragged around Mexico yeah. on all these fucking missions yeah. through the jungle to all these she's terrifyingly dangerous. Ready to settle down. She just wants to get out. So they take up together and they settle into a relatively successful marriage and they have a daughter together called Maria. But now also by this time, just so we know, King Charles was a bit over Cortez, right? Mm-hmm. He was like, you know what, Cortez, all these missions that you keep going on, all of this hanging of the local leaders, all of this murder charge about your wife, all of this shit that went down in Honduras, which, again, as I said, it's too complicated to mention, um, <laughs> it's not a good look. Yeah, and it's not a good look. Yeah, I'm yeah. Repla- that's one way to put that's it. One- and I'm replacing you in your role as, go- <gasps> as governor. Wow. The golden boy has fallen. Yep, and it, he gets a demotion to the Marquis of Oaxaca. Devastation. Wow. I'd be happy to be the Marquis of Oaxaca. It's you a would. very lovely place. <laughs> now, in 15... 15- You'd be the Marquess though, so... I would, that's true. You know. Now, in 1528, Cortes decides he's going to go home to Spain and argue with the king. Uh-huh. This is like, this is ridiculous. I won this land for you. Yeah. I should be in charge. Yeah. So he heads off. Now, of course, as I said, Melinson also had Martin. They had a son mm-hmm. together. And Cortes, sort of to his credit, adored Martin. Mm. He loved him. And he even actually had him legitimised by the Pope. Oh. So what this meant was that he was not going to give Martin no, up. No, he's no. To Melinson. No, I can imagine that. So in 1528 when Martin was only six, Melinson yeah. had to say goodbye to him. And he went back on the ship. Forever. Yeah, fuck. She couldn't do anything to stop yeah. Cortez from taking him away from her. So back in Spain, Cortez marries another woman, Mm. of course, heads off on multiple other fucking adventures, including returning to Mexico. But as far as the records show, he and Melinson never saw each other again and she never saw Martin again either. So Cortez had children by at least six other women, at least. He had 11 children that he'd acknowledged, including a daughter who he actually had by Montezuma's own daughter, 
Wait. Yeah. What? I know. Yeah. Whoa, that was a twist I didn't see coming. Uh-huh, yeah. So that was Leonore. Jesus Christ, imagine that. Whoa. Okay. The dude who took over your father's city, took your father hostage, mm-hmm. which through various events led to his death. Yep. He's the guy. Okay. That I, father. I wonder if that was consensual. I'm going to assume that was dubious. Yeah, I think a lot of this is dubious for sure. But she was born around 1528. <gasps> so Whoa. when we look at the dates. Oh, no. Yeah, no. when Melinson was looking no. to marry elsewhere, right? So this is we can see as, as well why she was probably looking to marry elsewhere because she already could see that Cortez likes young he's, young women. He's off. He's like already he's mm. got other women on his radar. So I don't even really think that she ever necessarily would have thought Cortez was the, you know, faithful type. Yeah. But you can already see mm. why there's so many reasons why she wanted to settle down into married life. No one knows exactly when she died, but it's most likely that it was not that long after Cortez left for mm. Spain, probably around about 15, 28, 29, so quite close to after he left. And she really would have only been in her late 20s when yeah, she right. died. And most scholars suspect that she died from illness, possibly. Heartbreak. No. Betrayal. I don't think so. Just the f- I mean, because of Martin. Maybe, maybe. Not because of Cortez. Um, it was probably just lingering illness that yeah. she'd had. Smallpox, dysentery, various other but ills. But no one can confirm it because... No one cares where's, anymore. Well, where's Melinson's remains? No one knows, right? Really? Where Where did she end up? No one has a clue. Meanwhile, Cortez, who died of dysentery in 1547, his body was moved like eight times and finally ended up entombed in a church in Mexico. Yeah. So we all, we all know where he ended up. But Melinson, without whom Cortez never, ever would have achieved anything, anything where is she? <laughs> Nowhere. Yeah. That's the thing about this story. Yeah, because as soon as he's gone, no one gives a shit about her anymore. That's precisely right. And she fades out of the history books despite the fact that sincerely, really honestly, mm. this woman changed history. Yeah. So For better or worse, she did. She did. And so she's this legacy. She's remembered for so many different things. And Malinchista is an insult for someone who's a <gasps> traitor, who's not very patriotic. Wow. Yeah, exactly. Holy and, shit. That, yeah. What a legacy is that? Jesus Christ. And um, Chingada is basically means the fucked one as well. So this is also <laughs> an insult that's applied to women because this is how she's seen. She's seen <gasps> as the as the indigenous woman who who fucked the invader, who fucked the, the mm. you know, and this is the way her story often gets reduced to this yeah. concept. But, of course, for many she's, she's also this symbolic mother of the mestizo race because, of course, you know, before she had Martin there were already plenty of Spanish having children with local yeah, indigenous. Of but she and Martin and Cortez as this, the symbolic. this symbolic yeah. sort of start of the mestizo race. So she's been reclaimed as this mother figure. But, of course, you know, some people invoke her as this sort of powerful feminine figure but that's only really been since the middle of sort of the 20th century mm. that attitudes to, to her as a historical figure have changed mm-hmm. because I guess through the, like, through the lens of history she's always been seen as this betrayer mm. 
And as we said before, she didn't even betray her people. That yeah, she wasn't Mexica. Yeah, and her people already sold her out to slavery. Yeah, she knew that she could make a better position for herself. Mm. And why do we deride that? Why? And has- the Spanish would have found another way. I think it's you know representations of her have shifted and changed as I think that sort of appreciation of her historical uh, reality of who she was and the time she lived in has, you know, as we've kind of come to understand it in a much more nuanced way. But history does this all the time, obviously. We always change our opinions. In another Mm. another 100 Mm. years, who Mm. knows how she'll be viewed then. And this is the other thing. We want to put people into either a villain or hero box. And the truth is that the vast majority of people – don't fit into no, either of those absolutely boxes. Not. No. But there's a quote that I really like from a writer, Hanyul Long, who wrote a book called Malinche in 1939 in which he basically says that Malinche represents more than any one moment of history can hold. Wow. And I think that's so true. Yeah. Like you can't pin her down to one thing or the yeah. other. It's yep. so much yep. more complicated than yep. that. This is exactly what why we need to interrogate these stories, mm. isn't it? It's because they are complicated. You can read more and find out more about her and there's plenty of information about her out there in the world, but really the actual woman remains mm. an enigma. Mm-hmm. The mm-hmm. Real, You know, we don't mm-hmm. have... We don't know how she felt about all of this. No, as she, did, as she, she never wrote it. any. Know. No, that's right. Yeah, and it's not the same as other sort of inf- you know like queens where they're documented, where we have portraits mm. of them, where we know where they're buried, where you know yeah. all these important historical figures who are memorialized in certain ways, whereas. She really is just a ghost. It really is one of those stories that pains me when I think mm-hmm, of that because mm-hmm. you think of how fundamentally she changed the yeah. face of Central America. So that is today's yeah. story. Wow, what a story. That was what huge. What a story. That was huge. Holy shit. It was huge. Next week we're going somewhere very exciting. We're going back, back, back into the past even further into mythology again and we're going into the story of the very first deviant woman this is the deviant not, not the very first deviant woman who ever existed no no the one that i first pitched this entire podcast to alicia about it's true and it's taken us this long finally getting to her it's super exciting yeah and we're going to be doing it with a special very special guest. guest so we will see you then and in the meantime i also need to tell you all that we have been with soundcloud since the very beginning of this podcast but for the last few months we've actually we've switched over since we joined lip media and we will be turning off the lights on soundcloud Aww. very soon so, so if sad. you if you follow us on soundcloud please switch over to another podcasting app of choice you can find us on all of the major podcasting apps because at the middle of next month soundcloud will be no longer well soundcloud will still exist we just won't be on it we won't be on it yeah that's right <laughs> so Make sure you do that. And, of course, make sure you leave us a review on whatever app you're using to listen to us. Mm -hmm. And if you would like to catch us on Patreon, we have some brand new Patreon content for as little as $2 a month. This 
Patreon's Hole in History episode is all about a wrestling warrior princess who amassed herself tens of thousands of horses <laughs> with her superior wrestling skills. And who doesn't want to hear about that? That's pretty amazing. <laughs> and of course, you can also find our t-shirts and pins on Etsy. And you can tweet us or send us your stories on Instagram or whatever. We are at Deviant Women. And so, as always, we'd like to say a very big thank you to India Hui for the music, Brendan Davies for the sound, and to Dan, executive producer. And that's all from us. We'll see you next time.